Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see changed lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. From a week vacation, or a little over a week vacation, we uh, went to Washington, D.C. We did all that kind of stuff. We did, we did Baltimore, uh, Chesapeake Bay, which, by the way, don't go to Chesapeake Bay during this time of year. There's a lot of jellyfish in them. Um, just we learned that, and that kind of killed that. But, uh, so, but before you go on a trip, and I actually went to my parents in central PA, and so we were pretty excited because we hadn't been on any trip uh, almost a year. Um, so we were excited to get out of town and try some new things. But if any of you have taken trips, which, of course, you have, uh, you know that before you go on a trip, there's a a lot of pre-trip work to do, isn't there? You got to get the cars ready. You got to get the house ready. You got to get the, you know, set up the out-of-office email. Um, you have to get the packing stuff. You have to pack as if you're actually moving there. I think that's usually at least how ours ends up. I'm like, I think we're just moving, apparently. Um, you have to get we have cats, so you have to get people ready to watch the cats. I mean, the list goes on and on. Find a hotel. Find, when you have kids, find a hotel with a swimming pool. Find a hotel that has breakfast. You know, those are things that if you have young kids, like you, those are important things. Um, you know, pack the chargers, you know, all 25 chargers that you have. You hope you have the right ones. Then you get there and you have to buy new ones anyhow. And then you just add two. And that's why you have 25 chargers and half of them don't even work. Right. And it's just all kinds of things you have to do in preparation for a new adventure. Just as a reality, new adventure, taking an adventure, there's all kinds of preparation that goes into it. In fact, one of the things I realized is there's a lot to do and a lot to know before you take an adventure. There's a lot to know and there's a lot to do before you can take any type of new adventure. And so part of that getting ready for the vacation was I took the car to get the oil changed a day or so before we left. And when I went, I had kind of done an appointment. I did an appointment, but it was one of those where you actually have an appointment, but it doesn't really matter because it's not, they're not following it any. <laughs> so, so I got there with the appointment and they were backed up a little bit and it was a place where I could walk around. So I just took a walk and I do what most of us do when we have about an hour to kill during a car change. I just pulled up the YouVersion Bible on my phone and listened to Leviticus. That's what we all do, right? It's what you do when you're a pastor and you're trying to write your sermon before you go on vacation so you can preach when you get back. So I was just, I was listening to Leviticus. I probably, no joke, probably listened to about 10 or 11 chapters of Leviticus as I'm just out for a walk, um, hoping that by before noon, the, the oil can get changed on the car. And always thinking to myself, why don't I learn how to do this? But I will never do that. So, uh, but in that moment, uh, in those moments of, of just out for a stroll and just, just kind of listening, it was quiet, it was just me and, and walking on some side streets. God revealed how we were to wrap up this sermon series on Leviticus. As I was just listening to the last 10 chapters, all kinds of different things going on, all kinds of different things being shared, all kinds of different things to process. One common theme kind of came to mind, okay? And I'm going to get to that. I'm going to tell you what it is right now, so you stay with me, but we'll get to that in just a moment. But the reality is that before we go on a new journey, there's a lot of things we have to do, and there's a lot of things we have to know. And why do I say that? It's not just because we came, went on vacation. It's because of the context of the book of Leviticus. At the time that they're hearing these words being spoken by Moses that were written down later, uh, they had only been on this journey for about 45 days. They had left Egypt, uh, and this, you, know, you can read that in the book of Exodus, where 
They are in slavery and bondage. The Israelites were in Egypt, and then God says it's time to release them, and Pharaoh says no, and then God sends a, some, a plague, and Pharaoh's heart softens, and then they're getting ready to leave on this new adventure, and Pharaoh changes his mind, and we go through, and you can read, there's about 12 or 15 chapters that deal with that. But eventually, they get released. He says the people can go. 45 days later, I think sometimes when we look at the Bible, we think it's like years later because it's chapters and long books and all that. It was actually only about 45 days later, they are at the base of this mountain called Mount Sinai. And they spent almost a year at that place. It was, one, it, was a, it was doesn't seem like it because the action seems like it's moving forward. But the book of Leviticus, everything we have in the book of Leviticus happened during that almost 12-month period that they were camped at Mount Sinai. Now, here's the important thing to notice, that they were then, the next step of their journey was the new adventure. The next step of their journey was to be entering this promised land called Canaan that God had called them to. But before they could enter that promised land, there was a lot they needed to know, and there was a lot they needed to do to be ready for this new adventure. Before they could start this new adventure, there was a lot they needed to know, and there was a lot they needed to do to be ready. And the book of Leviticus is God preparing them for this new adventure. He's revealing himself to them. He's sharing to them who he is, because when they entered this new land, there was going to be a lot of other gods that people were following. There were going to be a lot of other religious practices. There was things even like child sacrifices going on. There was a lot of evil in this new area. And God, in that preparation season for them, needed to prepare them and show them and teach them who he was how he was different than any other God, how sin was a big deal, how being made right with him could happen. And so that's the context that we're walking into. They're going to a new adventure. Any of you ready for a new adventure? I'm not talking a vacation, but any of you here today, any of you listening to us, watching us online, sense that there might be some new adventure in your life. Or maybe you're here today and you feel like, How's the word? You just feel a little bit uneasy. You feel a little bit unsettled, maybe is a better word. That there's, there's something on the horizon. There's something. You, you, you're, you're, maybe you're discontent. Ever have that happen? <laughs> I'm sure there's a few of you here today that are maybe dis, discontent. You don't even know why you're discontent. There's nothing specific to be maybe discontent about. But you sense that there's something. There's something just not there. And so as we look at this today, as we wrap all this up, any of us that are on that precipice of a new adventure, a new journey, and I'm guessing that's all of us to some degree. Some of us know it's there. We sense it's there. Maybe some of us have like one foot already in it. For others of us, maybe it's going to be six months, a year down the road. Maybe it's something, it's not some massive thing like a job change or anything like that. Maybe it's saying yes to one thing that you never would have said yes to before. And my hope today as we unpack this text, the text that we're going to look at as we talk about some different things, that God is revealing himself to you and he's getting you ready and preparing you by revealing himself to you 
so that you are ready when that journey comes. We're going to be in Leviticus chapter 22, and we're going to read verses 31 to 33. It says, he says, keep my commands and follow them. I am the Lord. Do not profane my holy name. I must be acknowledged as holy by the Israelites. I am the Lord who makes you holy and who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. A man walks into a hotel one day. He goes up to the, the hotel uh, clerk, the, the guy who's working in the lobby behind the desk. And there's a big dog, a big kind of scary looking dog, but a big dog laying in front of the clerk's desk. And the guest says, hey, uh, does your dog bite? And the clerk immediately says, no. So the guest reaches down and he's like, I'm going to pet the dog. He goes, no. as soon as he pets the dog, that dog just snaps him and gets a big flesh chunk of flesh out of his arm. And the guy screams and he yelled. He's like, and he said to the clerk, he said, I thought, you, I, to, I thought you told me your dog doesn't bite. To which he said, he doesn't. Uh, you're, the dog just bit me. To which the clerk, and I love his response, well, that's not my dog. <laughs> Aren't you glad I'm back from vacation? I work on these on Vicky. Yeah, okay. It's so important to know the right thing. It's so important to know the right thing. That guy didn't know the right thing. He thought he knew the right thing. He thought that was, he framed his question incorrectly, or he was assuming the guy would give him not a snarky answer. Look what it says right here. Keep my commands and follow them. I am the Lord. Do not profane my name. I must be acknowledged as holy. I am the Lord who makes you holy, who brought you up out of Egypt. I am the Lord. Do you notice how many times he says, I am the Lord? Three times, I am the Lord. We've talked about in this series, and I talked about a couple weeks ago, that you can't read the book of Leviticus without reading the book of Hebrews. And if you, you can't really read the book of Hebrews and not understand it fully without reading the book of Leviticus. And so often what happens is that we, and it's become very more popular in, in culture these days in, in, from the pulpit or whatever you want to call this from the platform, to talk more New Testament, to preach New Testament, to say, well, the Old Testament is the last chapter. This is the new chapter. And, and the, the Old Testament has a lot of things that are hard to understand and hard to explain. And frankly, sometimes just I don't like to talk about them. And so let's not talk about them. Well, you can't do that. Because it's not an Old Testament thing. It's not a New Testament thing. We have to understand that the Bible was written as a narrative, as one big story. In fact, we teach our kids, your kids, your grandkids in the preschool, in the elementary, and of course in the middle school and high school, of God's big story. We're doing that intentionally because you can't just cherry pick. You can't just pick and choose. You can't just talk the New Testament and not talk the Old Testament. That it's so important that we know what scripture says. And it's so important that we see that what God set up from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the whole way through Revelation, I think there's 22 chapters, so you can check, fact check me, but to the last chapter of Revelation, that it all works together. It is God's big story. And what happens in Leviticus, the things that we look at in Leviticus, the idea that God is perfect, that God is holy, that sin's a serious deal, that animals had to die, that blood had to be shed for the, for the sin, for the atonement, as I talked about a few weeks ago, to cover over, right? To cover over that then when it's talked about in Hebrews about Jesus as our great high priest, some of you have told me you see now how it all links together. 
and how it all works. And we realize that knowing the right thing makes all the difference. And when we understand truth, when we know truth, it's a game changer. Because these people were entering a new adventure. They were entering into a hostile land. They were going into a territory where they were not welcome. Can anyone relate to that? (laughs) Any of you living in a hostile land? Any of you not feel welcome? Any of you not sure if you fit in? And God was preparing them. He was showing them who he was. And if they would get this, it would be a game changer. Here's what's fascinating. I told you they they are 45 days roughly into this journey from leaving Egypt to getting to Mount Sinai. Do you know that they were only about an 11-day walk from Mount Sinai to the promised land? 11 days. I'll talk a little bit later about how long it actually took them to get there and maybe some ramifications for our own life. Notice what it says here. Keep my commands and follow them. God's warning them. He's saying, this isn't optional. This isn't, oh, I just want to, I'll keep what I want to keep. I'll do what I want to do. I'll follow what I want to do. He said, I am the Lord. I am the general manager of the universe. I am the CEO and president. And Mark, you're not. And people X thousand of years ago, you're not. And people in 2022, you're not. I am the Lord. Do not profane my holy name. Now, I think a lot of times when we read that word profane, we think, well, it doesn't, it means don't use the Lord's name in vain. Don't use the word God in a sentence other than, I would encourage you not to do that, but that's not actually what this means. The word profane best translates into tarnish. God is saying, do not tarnish my name. I am the Lord. I am different than all the other thousands, if not tens of thousands of gods that are worshiped in the culture that you're going into, into this new land. I am the Lord. I am different. I am holy. And don't tarnish my name. I could preach a whole sermon just on that. I'll I'll just give a couple minutes. Are we tarnishing his name at all? If If you're here today, if you're joining us online and you profess to follow after Jesus, is there Anything in your life, anything that you say, any behavior that you have, any, any way you treat others who maybe don't believe the same as you or as, as I, that might be tarnishing his name. I don't know. I'm just saying. I had to stop there when I read that. And I was like, let's just have a conversation. This is a big deal, right? Is there anything that when people look at your life that tarnishes God? See, we always think it's about us. At least I do. I'll just speak from, I I think about myself way too much. But actually, it's all about God. It's all about his reputation. It's not about me being right and the other person's wrong. It's not about this. It's not about that. It's about, am I doing anything that's driving someone away from God? Am I doing anything that is tarnishing his name? They were getting ready for a new adventure. When you get ready for a new adventure, when there's something new on the horizon, there's a lot to know and there's a lot to do. How are you following after him? 
And then he goes on and says this, or actually, he doesn't say this. I, I like this verse in 1 Corinthians. When it comes to tarnishing his name, Paul said this, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. I ask this question a lot when I'm in discipleship groups. I'll ask the question, is your life worth imitating? Is my life worth imitating? And then I dig a little bit deeper because this is when it really starts to gnaw at us a little bit. Is every area of your life worth imitating? <laughs> that hurt, didn't it? Did I step on our toes? <laughs> I mean, I stepped on my own, okay? Right? Is every area of my life, is, is my financial, is my thought life, is how I parent, is how I'm a husband, is how I trust God with the future, is how I, I look at people, who, how I treat people who don't believe and act or look the same way I do. Is every area of my life imitating? Every single time I ask myself that question, the answer is no. <laughs> that there's always an area where I need to see God's holiness. I need to see his presence. I need to see his power. I need to see more of him come into my life. Because the last thing we want to do, at least the last thing I want to do, is tarnish his name. I heard this said one time, and it's always attributed to Francis of Assisi, but it's actually, he didn't say it, so I don't know who said it. But it said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. I love it. Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. I think we kind of live in a church culture where we use our words a lot and we talk a lot about this or a lot about that. But what if we just lived our life? In fact, the Bible tells us, live your life in such a way that it wins the respect of outsiders. Lead a quiet life so it wins the respect of outsiders. Preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. So how do we get there? How do we get to that every area of my life is worth imitating? How do I get to where I'm not tarnishing God's name? How do I get to the place where I'm hearing from God, I'm responding to what he says to me, he's, he's consuming my life so that I'm ready for the next part of the journey? Now, the answer to that question is the thing that God revealed to me out for my hour-plus stroll a couple of weeks ago during the oil change. See, a lot of times as we're reading the book of Leviticus, in fact, as we read a lot of the Old Testament, I think, at least I do, it's easy to see, man, isn't this all about rules and regulations and rituals and behavior? And, and I think that's sometimes why we shy away because we're like, well, I don't want to be legalistic about things. I don't want to be, you know, the do's and the don'ts. But as I was reading this, God was showing me the book of Leviticus is all about grace. It's all about grace. In fact, Jesus tells, or God tells us this. He says this. He says, I am the Lord. This is the verse that really stood out to me. I am the Lord who makes you holy and who brought you out of Egypt. Let me ask you this question. When you read this, it says, I am the Lord who makes you holy. Who makes you holy? Simple question. You are God. God, okay? Who, now I know you didn't come out of Egypt, I'm guessing none of us, but he brought us out of bond. He brought them literally out of slavery, out of bondage, out of oppression. Who brings you out of bondage? Who can set you free? Is it you? No. Is it God and God only? Yes. That's grace. Grace. 
That's grace. Grace is a gift. Grace is something that God gives us that you and I don't deserve. Grace is something that God gives us that you and I cannot earn. We live in a culture where I think it's really hard to grasp grace. Why? Because we live in a culture that's very performance-driven, right? There's always a scoreboard. There's always a scoreboard. And a scoreboard is always based on performance. You win or you lose because you played better than the opposition. You get promoted because you had a higher sales year than the other person. You get this grade and you get into this program, right? I mean, I'm not saying inherently it's bad. I mean, it is what it is, right? But because we are so inundated with this, I think from practically birth, of performance, of scoreboards, of achievement, that we really struggle with grace. Because we, we, we think, well, there's gotta be somehow I gotta earn God's favor. Man, if God knew how I've lived my life, there's no way he would just give this to me for free. Well, guess what? He knows and he still does. But sometimes we'll receive that. Sometimes we'll receive the gift of salvation. And we kind of figure out, because I think it's because we tried all kinds of other things to fill that void. And we kind of just give up someday and just like, I quit. God, I need help. Oh, that's what I was looking for. But then it's very easy to live thereafter by the scoreboard. And very we, we, we just have this natural, I think, affinity to go closer and closer to performance-based Christianity instead of grace-filled Christianity. I'm going to say that again. We have this propensity to move towards performance-based Christianity instead of grace-filled Christianity. Grace literally is charity. It means charity in the Greek or a gift. It's something that God gives us that, guess what? I didn't deserve and you didn't deserve. It's something that he gives us because as one of the songs that we've sung here before, he's just a good, good dad. It's something that he gives us because when we put Leviticus together with Hebrews and everything in between and the things on the bookends, we see that Jesus served as the final substitute for us, that he was the atoning sacrifice, that everything that happened in the Old Testament happened for a reason, and that sin is a serious deal, and there always had to be bloodshed, and there always had to be death, and Jesus then was that final perfect sacrifice, that final perfect substitute, so that you and I could receive grace. Now, here's the deal, and sorry, camera guys, I know you hate when I walk around like this, but I didn't know where else to put these. I think so often when it comes to grace, we, we think God just gives little shovelfuls of grace. He just gives little scoops. We, we forget how big God is. We forget how much he wants to set us free. We forget how much 
He wants to heal. We forget how much he wants to reveal himself to us. And I think we live our lives just thinking God's just going to give me a little scoop of grace and a little scoop of grace here and a little scoop of grace here. But what if, what if he actually operated, which is he does, by the way, in shovelfuls of grace? Anyone here today need a shovelful of grace? I'm not throwing anything out here, so don't worry. Okay. I have nothing to scoop. I do. I want more of his presence in my life. I want more of his power in my life. I want him to reveal himself. I want him to show himself more. I want to know what he wants to do in and through my life. I want more. I want shovelfuls. I want shovelfuls of grace. And church, here's the best news ever. That's how he operates. He operates in shovelfuls, not scoops. Scoops is a lie. Scoops is not true. Scoops is not how grace works. My headset's going to fall off. Sorry. There we go. He operates in huge shovelfuls. He wants to give that to you today and tomorrow and the day after. We see this in Ephesians 1. It says, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with what? The riches. Substitute the shovelfuls. The shovelfuls of God's grace. And just in case the riches wasn't enough, he added another word that he lavished on us with all wisdom and with all understanding. As we kind of tie this up today, the one thought that came to my mind that kind of, I think, ties in this whole series, and you'll see it on the screens. It says, we can never understand how incredible the good news is for us until we understand how horrible the bad news is for us. Let that sink in a little bit. You and I can never understand how incredible the good news of grace is until we actually understand how horrible the penalty of sin is. See, that's why we have to talk about this. That's why we leaned into the book of Leviticus. That's why we wrestle with the confusing things because it is pretty grim news. Things always had to die. My kids have been asking me, I don't know how they're hearing this, probably because they're talking about it, but they, we've had a conversation you know, on vacation about animals dying and blood. And you want to get your theology pretty good? Try to explain that to an eight and a six-year-old. And if you can do that, you can preach it to adults, right? <laughs> how, do we, how do we explain this? Is my cat going to die for my, no, no, it's not. But I want to phone a friend, you know, you ever want to phone a friend, you know, on this? Like I... I'm the pastor. I I don't know. But we have to understand. I think it's so cool, actually, even though we're trying to make sense of it through an eight and a six-year-old mind. I think they're grasping a little bit, even if they can't put all of it together yet, that sin's a serious deal. But that Jesus is really good. Notice what it says in Romans 5 here. And this is why we talk about the bad news first. It says, for if when we were God's enemies, you ever think that before you gave your life to Christ, 
you were his enemy. We don't ever want to say that one, but who were we following? We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation, grace. You can't be made right with God. There's no amount of good you could do in this world. There's no amount of good I can do in this world to solve the sin issue within us. Isaiah said that even his best words were filthy, right? Even anyone who ever entered into God's presence, if you've ever sensed God in his presence in your life, don't you have that moment where you just feel like, wow, I am definitely not holy on my own, right? And it's that remembrance that you're not. We'll never understand how incredible the good news is for us until we understand how horrible the bad news is. This story was written uh, not to me, but to another pastor. And it's so fitting as we wrap up today, as we wrap up this series, as we talk about some next steps even. Maggie had not been in church since childhood, but along the way, she became a spiritual seeker. And she wrote this troubling letter to the pastor of the church she began to attend about her early, earlier experience with Christians. And Maggie said the following. She said, the Christianity I grew up with was confusing to me even as a child. People said one thing, but did another. They appeared very spiritual in public, but were abusive in private. What they said and what they did never fit. There was always such a discrepancy that I came to hate Christianity and I did not want to be associated with a church. So when I came to your church and to my small group, I needed gentleness. I needed to be able to ask any question. I needed to have my questions taken seriously. I needed to be treated with respect and validated. Most of all, I needed to see people whose actions met what they say. I am not looking for perfect, but I'm looking for real. I need to have real people talk about real life. And I need to know if God is, or can be, a part of real life. Does he care about my wounds? Does he care about that I need a place to live? Can I ever be a whole and healthy person? I came across that my first reaction was, I love our church. <laughs> you would think, why would I? This wasn't written to me. I just read it and I thought, I love my church. I love our church. Because this could have been. This is a church that's filled of grace. This is a church where people can receive shovelfuls of grace. This is a church where you can show up with your doubts with your confusion, with your hurt, with your anger even, and you'll fit right in. I love, I don't know if you've ever noticed our doormats out front. One of our values is come as you are, and now you see it every time you walk in. If you've never noticed, check out our mats today. But it made me think, it made me think about, so what do we do now? What do we do now? Seven weeks, six weeks of Leviticus, I thought it was so cool. Matt was just sharing with me briefly before, um, before the service today of kind of where he kind of finalized sharing about Alpha. And then he shared his third point. He said, I think I have three things I want to hit on. But the last thing I want to hit on is that 
Alpha is just to build a place you can be real. We had not, he didn't know what I had written in my sermon. I said, I, I like that, Matt. <laughs> I think that's going to work really well with something I'm going to share today. And so I don't know where you are on your journey. I don't know what you've brought in today. I don't know what your next adventure looks like. But here's what I do know. God has some new adventure in store for every single one of you. How do I know that? Because he's the God who doesn't stay still. He's the God who sets people free. He's the God who, who launches you in the things that you and I would never do on our own. Every one of us here today, every one of us joining online, God has something new in store. That's why we need to spend time in his word. That's why we need to be in community with other people. And so, yes, I'm going to say one of the big next steps coming out of Leviticus would be to get involved in Alpha. If you've never done it before, if you're here today, and maybe you feel like Maggie in this story. You came today, someone invited you, you've been coming for a few weeks. Maybe there's someone that you know who you need to invite. Like Matt said, don't wait till Christmas Eve service. Don't wait till Easter Sunday. Don't wait for Mother's Day. They need Alpha. They need to be around other people using the term from Planet Fitness, who are judgment-free, <laughs> who are just going to be real. And maybe for others of you, and we're going to be talking a lot in the upcoming weeks about life groups, maybe you're like, I don't know about Alpha, but I just need other people. I want to learn. I want to be around others. I want to discover new things. I want to build some community. I want to have someone I know that knows my name. I want to have someone I know that's praying for me. I want to have someone that, that, who can encourage me to, to grow in my faith journey. We're going to have a lot of different life groups for you to choose from too. So on that connection card, if you're online, the digital card, alpha life groups, mark that. Uh, they don't start today, but they're going to be starting soon. But I want to close this series with this. I told you earlier in the sermon that they were only 11 days away. 11 day walk from the promised land. Some of you know how long it took them. Shout it out. How many years did it take them? 40. 40 years. 11 days away from reaching the promised land. God had revealed himself. He had shared his heart, who he was, how he was different from everyone else. They're an 11 day walk away. It took them 40 years. A whole generation. Why? Because they disobeyed. Why? Because they didn't pre get prepared for the new adventure. Why? Because they, caught that they just thought they could do it on their own. They thought they could figure this out. Folks, humanity has not changed in the last seven to 10,000 years. We still are like people then and they are like us now. We think we can do it on our own. We think we can solve the problem. We think we can figure it out. We don't think we need God. We don't think we need Jesus. We, or we need just a little bit to get us there and then we'll be good on our own. I don't want any of us to be doing laps in the wilderness. I don't want any of us to be taking 40 years when it could take 11 days. What's he saying to you? What's he showing to you? Are you ready to receive his grace? Are you ready to receive more of his presence in your life? 
more of his voice in your life, more of his power in your life, more of everything in, that he is in your life. There's a lot to know. And there's a lot to do to be ready for a new adventure. And I just have a feeling that everyone in this room, God has a new adventure for you. And he wants you to receive his grace. This morning, we're going to receive communion. If you didn't receive a cup, would you raise your hand and they'll get one around to you. If you have any gluten allergies, we have gluten-free options. Would you go ahead and get this out? We're going to receive this together actually now. And then the band's going to come up and they're going to lead us in a closing song, Amazing Grace. My chains are gone. And go ahead, let's just pull out the wafer. Here at the Valley Church, we receive an open communion, which means that you don't have to be a member of the Valley Church to receive this. You don't have to even be a regular attender. But there is one requirement. It's not my requirement. It's Jesus himself. He says, you need to be a follower of his to receive this. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus in just a moment. Because this is serious business. This represents his body, which has been broken. This represents his blood that has been shed so that you and I can receive his grace. And so I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to pray for any of you, any of you watching online who need to receive Jesus. Make him the leader of your life. Seek him for the forgiveness of your sins. And then we're going to come back. We're going to receive this together. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to close with this song. And I pray that this song, while it's a reflective song, while it's a heavy song in the sense of his chains being, or God in his grace and chains being set free, I want this song to be a song of triumph. I want you to sing or listen to this song as a song of triumph. So let's pray right now. If you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, you know maybe about him, you've heard about him, but you don't know him. The Spirit's going to help you understand that. We're told about the Spirit giving us that nudge if we know Jesus or we don't. So if you are in doubt today, it's a pretty good possibility that you've never said yes to him. There's no formula. There's no prayer. There's no magical thing. It's simply you talking to, to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I now recognize that my sin is a big deal. I recognize that my sin is destroying my life and is destroying my relationship with you and with the Father. And it's saying that today, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I confess my sin. You don't have to name all the list of it. He knows. And I ask you, Jesus, to come in and save me from the spiritual, the physical, and the eternal death that sin always brings. The Bible tells us that you are a new creation now in Christ, that the old is gone, the new has come. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread. Let's go ahead and take the wafer right now. And he said, this represents my body, which is going to be broken for you. Every time you do this, take and remember the cost that I paid on the cross. Let's receive this together. Let's go ahead and take the juice. And in the same way, he held the juice in front of him. He said, this represents my blood, which is going to be shed for me or, or shed for you.
And we know, I don't need to go through it, but we know now that the cost of sin was always blood. It was always life to be given to get life. He said, never forget my blood that's been shed so that you can receive the grace that I want to give to you in shovelfuls. Let's receive this. Father, your grace is amazing. I pray that we never take it for granted. I, never, I pray that it's never just a word that we throw out there flippantly, but that we receive it in shovelfuls starting today. And we pray that in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.
as we go out into this week, God has a new adventure on the horizon for us. There's a lot to know. There's a lot to do. But here's the good news. He's ready to release shovelfuls of grace into our lives if we'll receive it. Go in his grace. Go in his power. Go in his presence. Be blessed. We'll see you back here next week. As always, friends, it's incredible to be able to worship with you. I hope you participated in discussion with our chat host. If not, it's not too late to jump on and just let them know that you have been watching alongside them. Our chat hosts are incredible servants who join us each and every week and chat with you, ask questions, pray with you, praise reports with you, praise with you. And if you've maybe been a part of the Valley Church for a while and you're wondering how you can serve, but you're a part of our e-family just like me, you can actually serve as a chat host. Maybe that interests you. You can text 937-358-6565 and you and I can connect about what it would look like to serve your e-family. We're also going to have groups soon, and there are groups on site that you can learn about, as well as online groups that you can learn about by texting GROUP to 937-358-6565. Friends, it has been amazing to unlock the code of an Old Testament to see how Jesus Christ really does love us and ask of us to be holy and set apart. It's big, big ask, but we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm thankful for that. If you have any questions, maybe this series has jump-started some questions in your mind or your heart, and you're local, I would encourage you to join Alpha. It's a great place uh, that you can ask all of those questions and many more that come to mind. It'll be on Wednesday nights, and it'll be held at the Valley Church Troy. We are looking for people who have gone through Alpha and maybe would like to participate in a digital Alpha. If that's you, you can use that same texting number or you can email me at lindsay.murphy@thevalley.church. It's been an incredible pleasure, friends. I hope that you are blessed. And if you need us throughout the week, feel free to reach out. Remember to like and share so that we can continue to spread hope and encouragement everywhere we go.
joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because changed lives change lives.